All right, welcome back, everybody. We're here with episode three of the Harvard Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy. I'm joined on the other line by Cesar Smokowski. Cesar, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Jackson? Thanks for everybody listening and coming back. We should have an incredible show, so let's get right into it. Yeah. Thanks, uh, everybody, for listening. Yeah, for sure. Um, as always, uh, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. It uh, really helps. We love to hear what you have to say about the show. Um, helps us keep making stuff, helps us get an idea of what's going on, because again, we're just getting started, we'd love to hear from whatever you have to think. Um, yeah, so today's show, we're going to be talking about, first, the draft combine entry list, who was invited, who's sitting out, who's doing what there, and then we're also going to be discussing the teams in the top seven of the lottery, uh, looking at their needs, what they might be looking at in terms of guys in the draft, and then how they might value player value versus team needs when it comes to where they're picking, so... Yeah, interesting show talking about the teams at the top of the lottery and the draft combine, which is coming up. Yep, yep, a lot, lot to go over. The combine's coming up real quick, so we got a lot to discuss and, you know, look at. Yeah, uh, so I think we can get right started with the combine. So uh, ever, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, you're probably a close follower of the draft, so you've probably seen at least some news about the combine stuff. There have been... Uh, we have the Draft Express list up here. It's compiled between Draft Express and Jeff Goodman. Uh, Ten guys who have been invited but are not participating. Sixty-seven guys invited. Six alternates. And then that those are the guys. And then there's other guys who weren't invited. We'll talk about those. But first, I know you want to talk about the guys who are sitting out, including Lonzo Ball. So what do you want to say about that, Cesar? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly an interesting development how in the past few years, we've had, you know, more and more top picks sitting out of this, you know, important step in the draft process. You talk about, uh, of course, Ben Simmons sat out l- last year, but that was mainly because at that point, you know, he was a pretty much lock for the number one pick, and Philly, you know, obviously was very interested in them. But it'll be interesting to see how it impacts Lonzo because, you know, in both of our eyes, he isn't the best player in the draft. And, you know, he may not be a lock at that number one pick like, you know, him and uh, people around him may think. So I think that if, you know, if they have really great performances by guys there, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the lottery and, you know, how guys go in that order. Yeah, I'm not thinking that the combine has a whole lot of effect on the lottery simply because a lot of those guys are sitting out. Dennis Smith, Jason Tatum, Jonathan Isaac, Josh Jackson, Larry and Malik Monk all announced that they're sitting out, and then Frank Nitelkina can't play because his teams in Europe is still playing in their season. Same goes for Isaiah Hartenstein and Rodion Skrux. Those guys probably aren't lottery guys, but those guys are both guys who can't be playing. And then there's other guys who are in season as well. Um, you've got some of these other Euro guys, including uh, one of our favorites, uh, Jonah Bolden, can't make it to the Combine because of his Euro season going on. But, yeah, these a lot of these lottery guys have announced that they're not going to participate and I can understand that I don't think that this is going to have a whole lot of effect on their stock I think teams generally have an idea of what they're getting with those guys I think more what teams will be looking at is those late first round early second and second round guys to get an idea of who fits where what kind of skills they can bring and then also measurements to see to differentiate those guys because once you get in that second round range it gets hard to differentiate guys from another so this is another reason or another opportunity for guys to differentiate themselves from each other yeah, exactly. I mean, you have those guys that are sort of at the end of the first round or in the early 
second round that can really boost their stock or, you know, show that they have really great measurements and work out well with teams. So, you know, I think that there could be some big risers and guys that certainly benefit that may not be in the lottery but certainly can benefit from them. Do you have any guys that you think would, you know, jump out and improve their stock in the uh, uh, combine? Well, I think a lot of these guys that are going to be looking to improve their stocks here are those – there's a lot of centers at the around the – top of this draft to have power forward size or at least are listed as power forward size you got guys like jordan bell matthias lesso i know matthias lesso it's not participating in the combine but that's an example of a guy jordan bell um jonathan motley he's injured but he'll still be doing size testing and stuff even guys like ivan rab you've got these sort of they're they're really centers but they've got or bam out of bio is kind of another guy they're really centers but they've really got the size of a power forward so if any of those guys can measure out as taller than what they're listed at, particularly a guy like Jordan Bell, who's listed at, I think, 6'9", if he can measure out at 6'10", or even 6'11", that'd be huge for him. So I think it's going to be guys like that that could benefit the most. And then also you have wing prospects who are hoping to get a couple extra inches of wingspan or that sort of thing. And then in the 5-on-5, five five, I think there are some guys who are on the fringes of the first or second round that could really boost their stock a whole lot. Yeah, that's what I was... Uh, you know, talking about, I think one of the guys that could really improve their stock was the guy that we were talking about last week, DJ Wilson from Michigan. You know, he wasn't at the forefront of, you know, recruiting the entire year, but if he, you know, has great measurements at the combine and does well with testing with teams, I think that he could improve and jump a lot. Uh, I'm also looking at guys that, you know, didn't play as prominent role, but also, you know, can one year measuring them can, you know, show that they have potential. Like, you know, guys like Isaiah Hicks from North Carolina, that's my guy. And, you know, you also have guys that, you know, like Harry Giles that sh- can show that they're, you know, go to the combine and show that they're, you know, physically ready, that they have, you know, overcome injuries and whatnot. So yeah. I think that those guys, combine may not, you know, be the end-all, be-all, but it could, you know, improve their stock, so. Yeah, it doesn't look like Harry Giles is going to be playing 5-on-5, five five, which is kind of a disappointment. I would have liked to see him play 5-on-5 five five just to get an idea of what he does outside of that Duke role. Uh, one guy that I really like, a lot of people have pegged him as a 2018 prospect. They think he'll end up going back, but that's Andrew Jones from Texas. Uh, he's a point guard who is sort of, here's a freshman this year, he's sort of in the middle of the second round for this year's draft or a first rounder in 2018. Uh, I watched Texas play Kansas earlier this season. I was at that game. And the best player on the court for Texas besides Jared Allen was by far Andrew Jones. He played great in that game. He does a lot really well. He's a really good athlete, and he can he can shoot the ball a little bit. So I'll be interested to see how he plays if in the 5-on-5 five five, and then if he decides to stay in the draft or not. I think that's another big factor with this is seeing which guys will de- decide to stay in the draft because you have underclassmen like Andrew Jones like guys like Raleigh Alkins, uh, even Shemi Ojolais, Svi Mikhailuk, who signed, who, who haven't signed with agents and who are trying to see from this combine what they hear from teams and whether or not they'll stay in the draft. Yeah, you got to test the waters out there, and I think that's important, seeing which draft class you want to be in. So I think that that'll be good for them. It'll be a good adjustment to see, you know, whether going in this year is worth the risk or if they want to stay and, you know, develop or, you know, put in more time on that the current level so i think that that would be good and it's a good barometer yeah and then in terms of guys who were invited 
there was only a, a couple that I really wanted to focus on, but uh, one was our guy, Sterling Brown, didn't get an invite. That was really disappointing for me. I would have liked to see him there. I think he could have had a chance to really show out there because we're both huge fans of him. I was really disappointed he didn't get an invite. Another guy I would like to see play is uh, Malcolm Hill from Illinois. I think he's got some game. Uh, I like him towards the middle, maybe top of the second round. He's He does a lot of stuff well. And then I haven't done a whole lot of scouting on him, but stuff I've heard about him is really, uh, especially from Portsmouth, is good. Jake Wiley from Eastern Washington. Would have been interesting to see him play. He, he's a huge athlete. I think he would have had a chance to show some stuff in 5-on-5. Five five. And the main reason I say that I was disappointed they weren't invited is because there were a lot of guys who got invites that I just I didn't understand why they got invites. You look at Damian Dotson, uh, Derek Walton, uh, Isaiah Briscoe was the one for me that I was really disappointed. I mean, what do NBA teams want to see from Isaiah Briscoe? He's a six foot three shooting guard who can't shoot. I mean, what are they going to see from him here that they didn't see from him at Kentucky? He he can't shoot. He's not a point guard. He's already twenty one. I don't. I just he doesn't have. I don't know what teams want to see from him here. He's not he's not an NBA player. I think that should be clear at this point, but I guess they want to see him brick shots in the 5-on-5 five five instead of watching an actual NBA prospect like Sterling Brown. That made me mad. Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole Sterling Brown news was a, you know, a big surprise to both you and me. I think that he deserved a spot on that selection, and you know, I think that he can do a lot and has shown a lot, so I think that that he was kind of, uh, you know, uh, smudged in that role. But you know, I think that the big ruckus this year was that they had so many invites; they had a hundred plus invites. Yeah. Uh, that you know, it's not, but it's not necessarily about how many invites; it's about the quality of the invites. So I think that leaving guys like Sterling Brown off that list, you know, wasn't a good look for them. And you know, I think that. They need to really look at quality players and make sure that they get the invite. So yeah, a couple other guys I didn't like: uh, Jamel Artis from Pitt. He's already like almost twenty-five. Uh, your guy Kennedy Meeks. I know you like him, but he's a six-nine center. I just don't think he's an NBA player. Um, Melo Trimble. I don't. I don't see anything from Melo Trimble. He's been bad for like two years in a row at call at the college level. Thomas Welsh from UCLA. I don't know why Thomas Welsh is even entered the draft that one doesn't make any sense to me so yeah i was just disappointed in some of the entry the invite choices versus some of the guys they left off yeah you know i guess there's you know the flip side of the coin so i guess uh i think sterling brown will be fine either way but i think that you know they need to do better in the future being able to make sure that every quality guy that has potential gets that call so you know well, hopefully that will improve in the coming years, but you know, I guess it, it won't be a make-or-break situation. Yeah, I mean, you have guys like Josh Richardson didn't get invited to the Combine. It's not a death knell, but it certainly is sort of a, a letdown to see that. But, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the Combine? Uh, no, I mean, I think that it's a good source for, you know, guys to show that they're accurate measurements, you know, guys that... yeah at the, you know, Nike Hute Summit or other places have had these measurements, but, you know, aren't exactly, you know, as reliable as they could be. So I think that this will be a good way to exactly measure guys and make sure that they measure up to what they've been told, you know, in the NBA. So I think that that will be important, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see who rises and who falls, you know, coming out of 
the combine. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that after that happens. But let's get into lottery fits because that was the next part of the thing we were wanting to discuss. Yeah, man. So we're uh, going to be looking at all of the teams in the lottery or a few of them. Yeah, we're just doing top seven, you know, top what seven they today. Need and what they're looking to get exactly in the draft. So uh, it's important and, you know, we got to look at it. Yeah, we'll start with Boston, who has the their pick from the Brooklyn Nets, of course. Boston will be picking anywhere from number one through number four. Most likely the pick staying in the top three. It's hard to... Uh, the scenarios where they fall out of the top three, that's only a, less than a 36% chance of happening. So that's... It's, it can happen, but it's not very likely. So Boston... The thing for Boston is their team needs is a rim-protecting center who can grab rebounds. But there's not a guy like that towards the top of this draft. You know, there's no Carl Anthony Towns as uh, the number one prize. This draft's all really guards and wings. And then you get down to guys like Larry Markinen, who aren't really true centers, who are rim protectors and rebounders. So Boston is most likely going to be picking a guy who doesn't fill an immediate need. And that's why I think they're a really interesting team in this draft. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, a conundrum that they're in. They got a top pick, of course, from Brooklyn, and uh, that's great. But, you know, it's not addressing an exact need. But I think that their, of course, role in this draft should either be one, trade the pick if it's a one or two pick, uh, number two pick. I think that they should trade it for a superstar or one I of think... the guys that can really help them, you know, i.e. a Jimmy Butler, a Paul George, one of those guys that you can get immediate value out of. Yeah, I just. But if they don't do that and and they fall, or you know, I think that their idea should be picking the best player that they have, whether that's Fultz or you know someone other other of that caliber. So I think that you know you have to plan for the future, and you know, an Eastern Conference where LeBron is aging, and you know, you're they're trying to take that next step. Yeah, I think that's smart to point out that you know this doesn't have to be a win now move. I think it's just a really interesting situation they have because. Of course, at the center of all this is Isaiah Thomas, who will be a free agent after next season. Is the team willing to pony up a $200 million contract for him that'll take him into his 30s? You know, guards under six foot three don't have a history of aging well, let alone guards who are five foot nine. I love Isaiah Thomas. I love the Isaiah Thomas story. He's been remarkable in the playoffs, but I would definitely have reservations about giving him five years of max money after next season, just because I don't know if that's really a wise investment. And so you have to think long-term about the point guard spot with this pick. You know, If they end up with the number one or number two pick, do they take Fultz or Ball and look to trade Thomas? Or do they just ride it out with Thomas and see what happens with Fultz or Ball? I think that's just what's so fascinating about this for Boston is what they do. And then you mentioned they could trade as well. I mean, if a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler is available, I think depending on the other assets they might have to give up, that's a trade you look at. If You know, if... Indy wants this year's Brooklyn pick and next year's Brooklyn pick plus other guys. Probably not willing to do that, especially because of the fact that would jeopardize their cap space this offseason, which they could use to add a real contributor, including a guy like Gordon Hayward that people have mentioned. So I just think it's a really interesting situation they have, uh, no matter where they land one through four, because I think there's just a lot of directions they could go. But in the end, I think uh, if they're going to take a guy, if they're not trading the pick, I think they'll end up with Fultz or Ball, if they land at one or two, and then three or four, I think they're looking at probably Josh Jackson and maybe Jonathan Isaac or Jason Tatum there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the main goal of their, 
you know, a project here should either be one, get a talented guy who can create his own shot outside of Isaiah Thomas, because you've got, you know, of course Isaiah Thomas is an elite scorer and can get the ball to other people, but I think that the key to, you know, taking that next step and being able to, you know, get in that discussion and being in it, able to make it to the finals is that you have to have another guy that can create his own shot and be a facilitator alongside Isaiah Thomas, or you need to go the other route where you get a guy who can rebound and protect the paint well. Uh, you know, they were a top five defense all year, uh, as we were talking about before, but they were uh, 25th in rebounding percentage, which is not good and didn't, you know, stack up to what they were trying to do on the defensive end. So I think that you have to either, you know, go for one of those elite scorers who can create their own shot, a.k.a. a, Mar uh, a Markel Fultz, or, you know, you have to get a big guy who can help them in the rebounding uh area and you know defend while there may not be a perfect situation you know you gotta find something yeah i think if they're really trying to get that rebounding guy they should look to a trade free agency or um another thing i'd like to mention about that is 2016 first round pick ante zizic they took him 23rd overall last year uh according to everything i've read about him he's been pretty incredible this season in europe his stats have been awesome and he's that rebounding defender role that they need so Word is they'll bring him over this offseason, so he could help a lot in that department, I think, which should help them, but I don't think that they should just assume that need is solved, but I just don't know if that need can be filled towards the top of this draft. I mean, you can get a guy like Jonathan Isaac, but I think he's going to be a bit of a developmental guy. I don't think he'll contribute a ton right away, and I don't know if he can play center, which next to Al Horford, Isaac and Horford are a pretty interesting pairing, but... That's still tenuous just because I'm not sure that that's the number one move to solve your rebounding and paint protection problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't feel super confident in taking Isaac, you know, number two or number three if they don't get first. Right. I, I just mean, you know, I mean, if they get blessed with the Lakers or Suns getting the number one pick and picking ball. But if they don't get faults, you know, I think that there's a high degree of uncertainty with Isaac. And you talk about how much can he really impact that team and how much, you know, wins is he going to contribute. So I think that he's an excellent player and could be a good project. But, you know, for this team, they really need to take that next step. So it'll be interesting what they can do. So. Yeah, I'm just interested to see how they value contending in the next few seasons versus how they value building a long-term contender. And I think that that pick's going to reveal a lot of that because, I mean, if they pick number one or number two, I think they take Fulter Ball regardless. But picking at number three or number four, I think, is going to tell us a lot. If they take a guy like Jason Tatum, who projects as more of an immediate contributor as a scorer, that'll tell you that, you know, Tatum is probably most of what he's going to be as a long-term guy. He's probably near to his upside than a guy like Josh Jackson or Jonathan Isaac is. So I think that would that would tell you a lot about how Boston views its contending window as it's being within these next few years versus as being trying to contend in the 2020s, basically. Yep, yeah, you always uh, contingents on, you know, Isaiah Thomas, who, of course, you know, is one of my favorite players and the incredible story and, you know, what he's been able to contribute. But, you know, you talk about does he fit their timetable, you know, you talk about timetables with really young teams, but you also talk, have to talk about them 
with this team because, you know, they have lots of young pieces with, you know, uh, Jalen Brown and Avery Bradley and guys that are still growing and, you know, developing. And then can you have a new superstar that can carry them, you know, for, you know, as you're talking about five, six years. So it'll be interesting what they can do at the top of the draft. Yeah, and then they also have to account for the fact that they've got another Brooklyn pick coming next year that's going to come at the top of a draft that's, in my opinion, has got maybe five superstars near the top. You look at uh, Luka Doncic, Michael Porter, Muhammad Bamba, DeAndre Ayton, and Colin Sexton. I think all of those guys have superstar potential looking at that draft right now. So you have to keep track of what's going on in that draft with that Brooklyn pick as well. So Boston just has a lot to plan for with their future, and that's what makes them such an interesting, compelling team. Yep, they have quite a lot of leverage in the next two years, so so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yep. Uh, number two team in this year's draft lottery standings is the Phoenix Suns. Uh, these Suns have more of a clear path of what they're going to do in this year's draft than the Celtics do simply because the guys that they're picking in the range of fit their needs a lot more. I think in terms of your sort of top tier of prospects, if you're looking at uh, Fultz, Ball, Tatum, Isaac, Jackson, Monk, and Fox, and then maybe throw Dennis Smith in there. I think the only guys that really don't fit there are Malik Monk, Jonathan Isaac, and Jason Tatum, just because I think that they're set at the shooting guard and power forward spots. You know, Devin Booker is going to be there at the shooting as as their shooting guard for their foreseeable future. So Malik Monk doesn't make a ton of sense. And then at power forward, you've got Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender. They invested in last offseason, and so I think that those guys are going to be getting the lion's share of the minutes at power forward. So it would be unreasonable to invest in another power forward like Isaac. Or I think Jason Tatum at the NBA level is a power forward, you know, in the mold of that Harrison Barnes or Tobias Harris type where they're, uh, they're kind of got of a perimeter scoring game a little bit, but they probably better off playing power forward. So that's why I see Jason Tatum as. So I think that they're going to be looking at a small forward and point guard near the top of this draft because, as we mentioned, there's not really an elite center prospect towards the top of this draft. Yeah, man, I mean... You have uh, quite an interesting scenario with Phoenix because you have a guy who I really like and I think that is doing big things. You know, Eric Bledsoe, you know, he came off of a career season, you know, averaging 21 points and six and a half assists a game. So I think that he's a really good player, but he doesn't really fit their timetable or, you know, he'll sort of age out of that prime time you know in his career and will sort of fade as Devin Booker and Marquez Chris and Dragon Bender are sort of on the uptick so I think you got they need a guy that can facilitate that high-powered offense that they're trying to build so I think that once they get uh you know an elite guy next to Devin Booker whether that is faults or their you know for some reason their favorite Lonzo Ball it once you get a guy who can uh excuse me, run that offense next to Devin Booker, I think that that'll be a big step for them. And, you know, moving on from the lottery and hoping hoping to add more wins and, you know, more success. Yeah, the two other guys out of that sort of top group that they'd be looking at are Josh Jackson and De'Aaron Fox. I think both of those guys would be a nice fit in Phoenix as well if, for some reason, the, if they don't land in the top two and get Baller Fultz. Uh, because I think if they land at three, they'll probably take Jackson because he just, there's been a lot of talk. He fits so well with Devin Booker, Marquise Chris. We talked about that on the mock draft episode. If you want to go listen to that, we, Josh Jackson's just a great fit with those guys because 
he's a good rebounder and he's a good defender. And then, of course, he can create a shot too. He's a phenomenal athlete. So he just fits well with that Phoenix core. And then he might be there at four too, depending on how the draft shakes out. And then if Phoenix drops all the way to five, which is the lowest they would drop, uh, De'Aaron and Josh Jackson's off the board. I think De'Aaron Fox would be a good pickup because I do think they need to plan for the point guard of the future. And De'Aaron Fox's athletic tools and defensive ability immediately are going to fit well next to Devin Booker, even as the shot's still developing. Yeah, man, you guys, you can still, I think, thankfully, this is sort of a flip side to the Boston situation where there's a lot of point guards and facilitators that you can get in this draft. You know, whether you fall further and you get a De'Aaron Fox or a Frank Natokina, who I really like, I think that he can be a good, you know, facilitator and has a pretty sweet shot next to Devin Booker. So yeah, if they like do have a lower pick outside of, you know, one to two, so I, either one of those guys or, you know, deeper point guards in this draft, I think, can still be really good options. Yeah, I think Phoenix uh, is, is looking good with they can get whoever they want pretty much anywhere where they land in the top five. It's just a matter of getting someone they want more, like Fulter Ball at the top two. Next is on to the L.A. Lakers, who are looking at a pretty tenuous situation. They have a 53.1% chance of losing their pick in this year's draft to the Philadelphia 76ers. So that's going to be probably the most interesting story of the lottery night is do the Lakers keep their pick or not. But assuming that they keep their pick and they're picking at one, two, or three, I think that they have um, some pretty clear needs, but I don't know if this draft really fits their needs because I know that people like to say that the they could use Lonzo Ball and it'd be so much fun with Lonzo Ball there, but they already have a lot invested in that young backcourt with D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson there together. And, you know, I don't see either of those guys as immovable pieces. Uh, I think that Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz are both better players. I think even a guy like De'Aaron Fox is a better player than D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson, but... Uh, they do have other needs on the roster as well. They could use a, a legit two-guard. I don't think Jordan Clarkson's a real two-guard. They could use pretty much anything. They're, they're just a pretty talent, lifeless roster, but they've already got a lot invested in that backcourt, so I'm just interested to see where they'll go. I mean, if they land at the top two, they're going point guard. It's baller folds, but if they land at three, it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah, man, I think, uh, I don't know if I agree with that, you know, whole D'Angelo situation. I think that D'Angelo has come a, a long way in the second season. You know, if you move him to that two spot and you get a good facilitator next to him, I think that he can, you know, do special things as a scorer and as a, a very good shot. So I think that he is a good piece, but none of those guys are irreplaceable or, you know, uh are cornerstone guys, but I think that they really need someone at that one spot since D'Angelo isn't really, you know, the best option there. And I think that you have guys like Jordan Clarkson, who's already about to turn 25, so he's 24 in uh, quite a few months. And uh, you have, I think that he's not a great option yeah, at that I'm not a Jordan spot Clarkson because... Fan. He's. I think we've seen the most that we're going to see of him. Yeah, I don't he's, think that he's, he's going to develop. He's a low-level scorer Ingram, who can't play defense. Uh, as I can attest, and you can attest, is hasn't been great this season. But I think that him and D'Angelo and Julius Randle could all, you know, improve and grow. And, uh, and don't forget Zubac. You know, for Zubach. all of his faults, I like. I think that all those guys can 
improve, but I think that you have to move on from guys like Jordan Clarkson and get someone who can be at that one spot and, you know, in, uh, be a facilitator for that team. Yeah, I also like uh, Avicii Zubac at center. I don't know if he's a legit long-term starting center, but he had some flashes as a rookie. Uh, I think, yeah, one or two, they go with Baller Fultz just because I think that, you know, I, as I said, I'm not a fan of Jordan Clarkson. I don't think he really does anything particularly well. I think he's just kind of out there putting up volume stats. So I don't, I'm fine with them moving on from him. And I think that, yeah, they have to go with the best player available. So Baller Fultz makes sense. I just think... A ball Russell backcourt has the potential to be really bad defensively, but I don't know if the Lakers are really worried about that. Um, and Markel Fultz, honestly, if there's one thing you can knock him for, it's that he didn't show a whole ton of defensive activity at Washington. He's got the frame, though, so he projects to be a plus defender, at least from his frame. But yeah, I think with D'Angelo at the two, you're going to have defensive issues no matter what. But beyond that, at the third pick, I think that they'll probably just look Josh Jackson. It makes the most sense. He can play on the wing with Ingram sort of interchangeably between the three and the four with those two. Uh, obviously, one of them will have to add strength if they're going to check fours, but Jackson played a lot of small ball four this year at Kansas, so I think he would be able to do that on the Lakers team next to Ingram, or if they want to move Ingram to the four and put the Jackson at the three, I think those guys could interchange with each other pretty easily. So that's probably the, th the way that I think they would look at three. Yeah, uh, I think that th that three spot will be interesting. I've heard a lot of news about the fit that would, you know, work really well with Josh Jackson in L.A., you know, being that defensive presence and being able to help them in rebounding and adding that athleticism and, you know, defensive presence that, of course, you don't get from D'Angelo or uh, Jordan Clarkson for that fact. So I think that if they do fall, you know, that far or, or they lay in that pick, I think that Josh Jackson can be uh, – guy that fits that system well so I think that that wouldn't be the end of the world but you know of course it's not the superstar that they're hoping for at least in my opinion but you know I think that it would be a good piece yeah I think Josh Jackson is one of those unique players who I think won't put up superstar scoring stats I think he could end up being close to maybe a 20 point per game score which is still really good but I think he'll he'll impact the game in so many ways that he'll have almost that superstar level impact if he reaches his full ceiling so that's why I like Jackson, especially on a team like the Lakers that already has a lot of resources devoted to scoring where he doesn't have to be the primary scorer and he can still be a big-time impact player. So that's that's exactly. probably a good fit. He's got Jackson's lucky. He's got a lot of good fits for him with between Phoenix and L.A. and some of these other teams in the lottery. So I think he'll be able to do well wherever he ends up. On to number four is the Philadelphia 76ers. And I think it's pretty clear what their needs in this draft are. It is shooting in the backcourt uh whether it's at the point guard or shooting guard spot or even really small forward too they just need to find a guy on the perimeter who can make shots to space the floor for guys like Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Dario Saric, Rashawn Holmes and all the other guys they got up front. Yeah I mean despite the fact that we both think that Ben Simmons is a budding superstar and should be, you know, one of the cornerstones of that franchise. He didn't show a lot of, you know, shooting potential so far, at least in college and then the in the summer league. But I think that if you get a, you know, elite scores around him, if they do plan to play him at that point guard position, I think that he's a excellent facilitator. But if you add another shooter next to uh, guys that can all obviously shoot the ball like uh Robert Covington, but if you get another elite scorer on the on the perimeter like a Malik Monk or a Markel Fultz, or uh, you know, since this draft is so 
deep with guys that can shoot the ball well. I think that they're in good position. And if they do end up lucking into the Lakers pick, I think that that's a incredible situation for them. They get to add those, you know, shooting threats around Ben Simmons and the uh, superstar talent, but often injured Joel Embiid. So I think that if you have guys that you can surround those two with, then I think that that'll be a, a dream situation. And you know, hopefully, hopefully one day the process will end. Yeah, uh, I think if they drop to the number, if they jump to the number one pick and the other pick falls to four, and they're picking first and fourth, and they can walk out of there with Markel Fultz and Malik Monk, that has to be considered an absolute home run. I mean, they'd be looking at a lineup of Simmons, Fultz, Monk, Sarge, and Embiid. That's just uh, that's an unreal lineup. They would that would be such an awesome lineup from day one. I think they'd be contenders if Embiid was healthy. That just fits that fits together so well. They have so many different things they could do with that. And yeah, if they end up at number one and number four and they get that Lakers pick, they're just I mean, they're just gonna be so happy. I think that this draft could go so well for Philadelphia. And even if they don't jump that high and they're picking four, five, six, they can still walk out of there with Malik Monk, who is we I mean on the on our mock draft uh, podcast we highlighted the great fit of Malik Monk in Philadelphia, all ten of our mocks we had. Malik Monk ending up there, no matter where they're picking. So he he's just clearly such a good fit in Philadelphia, and I think he'd come in and fit really well right next to Ben Simmons, even if they don't end up getting that pick from the Lakers. Yeah, man, I think that Philly could be the big winner of this draft, as you know they haven't been as fortunate in the past years as other teams. But I think that I trust Brett Brown, their new coach, to not you know, new. He's been be there able way. to pick guys well and fit them in that system along with Simmons who's of course uh, an elite passer and distributor as we saw in college and one of his best traits and having guys that they all all have developed and you know I think that all of those guys saw Rick, uh, Robert Covington certainly a lot Joel Embiid uh, and uh, Richard Holmes have all improved this last season so I think that if you add one or two new pieces that can grow with them along i think that that'll be a great core yeah uh just know uh brett brown's been there i think he's been there since uh since when i think he got there same time as hinky so i wouldn't quite say he's a new oh, co- yeah. he's not the new coach but yeah yeah i well, do think th- new, relatively new yeah i suppose so but um i think that that they they have a lot that they could that they could get done in this year's draft and they're a really exciting team and this draft could make them a whole lot more exciting number five is the Orlando Magic, and this is another one of those teams where you could really point it anywhere on the roster and say that it's a need, except for I probably would stay away from the front court just because they threw so many assets at it last offseason, and that didn't work, and now they just have all these assets tied up in the front court. So I'd probably stay away from there, especially because, I mean, I guess their franchise player is Aaron Gordon. I don't really, he's kind of the de facto franchise uh, guy. Is he really a franchise player though well who's who on the magic would be besides Aaron Gordon that's what I'm saying like I don't think he's a franchise guy but who else on the magic is they don't they're such a barren team I don't know who the franchise guy would be for them that's the problem I mean I think that Serge Ibaka would have been a good piece there but then he wasn't he really didn't I mean, end up there. He, he didn't end up fitting very well so yeah, yeah, yeah I just so. I don't I don't really I think that that's what they're gonna have to do in this year's draft is try to come away with an identity for this team because I don't think they have an identity you know they 
they have so many contradictions within this roster. You've got a guy like Nikola Vucevic, who's your sort of rebounding and scoring center, who's not a good defender. And then you've got Bismack Biombo, who's that rim protector. And then you've got a guy like Aaron Gordon, who's this flashy, athletic power forward. And then you've got these other stretch forwards on the roster. And so, and then in the backcourt, you've got guys like shooters like Evan Fournier and scorers like Terrence Ross. But then you've got guys like. Alfred Payton, who are more facilitators, defenders. So it's just, uh, this team is, it kind of lacks an identity of what's trying to do. And I think they need to find a guy who they can build around and say, this is our identity. Because right now, I think they're just kind of floating lifeless, especially with their last few picks. Uh, guys like Mario Hazonia, who haven't worked out so well. Yeah, I think that this was not a great situation for them. They obviously did not have a successful season, but somehow weren't able to lose enough games to actually get a, you know, really great chance of getting a one or two or three pick. So I think that, you know, they're sort of stuck in a conundrum where, you know, they didn't lose enough to be, you know, have a promising, you know, uh, situation in the draft. But, you know, I think that there's still guys that you can get at that four or five spot that would be good. I think that they do eventually need to move on from Alfred Payton. I think that he's been good and has some uh, progress games that have shown his growth this year. But I think that he's not that guy that can, you know, attract guys to the Magic. And, you know, ever since that Dwight Howard pick, they have been, you know, Nothing, so hopefully they can sort of push reset this year. Yeah, Peyton, I think he does a lot well. Just It's so hard to win in the league these days with point guards who aren't threats from three-point range, and that's the worry with Peyton. And at five, I, I, don't, I don't know where they'd go. I think that point guard probably would be the play just because it's easy to grab a point guard and then build your identity from there. So maybe you're looking at a De'Aaron Fox who's got similar questions about his jumper, but... I think that even with the poor jumper, he's still a much better player than Alfred Payton is, and I'm more confident in his elite athleticism and his better. He's bigger than Alfred Payton is too, so I'm more confident in that for De'Aaron Fox. Or you look at a guy like Dennis Smith Jr., who's not a great shooter, but he shot 38% from three this season at NC State. His mechanics need some work, but he's got the foundations there. Or you look at a guy like Frank Natilkina, who maybe isn't a top five talent in this year's draft. But if you just want to get a guy who can come in and be reliable and you kind of know what you're getting with him, I think Natilkina represents that, which is kind of a contradiction usually with international guys. They're these, oh, they're these mystery guys. But I think Natilkina is a guy who's got maybe less of a super high ceiling because he's not this super flashy athlete. But I think he, you know what you're getting with him. So they could go there. Or they go with one of the wing scorers, namely Jason Tatum. That's a pick a lot of people have made. I could see them going to Jason Tatum. Uh as documented, I'm not the biggest Jason Tatum fan. I think that if they got him, it'd just be them getting Tobias Harris all over again, which I don't think Tobias Harris is a franchise player. I don't think Jason Tatum is a franchise player, but they need to do something to make that direction to show what what they're trying to do with this team because right now they're kind of lifeless. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the way I view it, Alfred Payton is the opposite of James Harden, right? James Harden's power is in his beard. Alfred Payton's weakness is in his terrible hair. So, you gotta move. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, next team is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I think that this team is a really interesting team this offseason. I think that they've arguably got the most compelling offseason of any team in the league when you just consider the fact that 
Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine are both eligible for rookie extensions. Their pick could either be six or it could end up winding up in the top three or could get knocked back depending on what happens in the lottery. But yeah, they're going to have a whole lot of different options in the lottery. And then you just consider free agency and everything. This will be the last year where they really have cap room because of the extensions for Wiggins and Levine. Do they trade Wiggins? Do they trade Levine? That's They've got a lot of really interesting stuff going on. But obviously, they're set at center. And I think that they shouldn't be making a pick at small forward because for all his flaws, I think Andrew Wiggins has to be your guy at small forward going forward simply because you have to assume that he's going to get better. I mean, he's got that raw scoring talent. It's just a matter of rounding out the rest of his game. He's still just... 22 so he's got time to get that better and Carl Anthony Towns is your guy at center going forward and then as far as point guard goes I think that right now you can't make a point guard pick partially because Ricky Rubio played so well and partially because you've invested in Chris Dunn last offseason you have money tied up in Ricky Rubio and then Tyus Jones also looks like he should take some minutes at the point guard spot so I think with all that they have tied up in those spots those spots should be considered nailed down going forward but at shooting guard I'm not sure Zach Levine's the starter going forward especially after his injury and then power forward's wide open so both those spots I'm interested to see where the Timberwolves would go in this year's draft yeah I think the best bet would be going at the power forward position and uh looking to trade Zach Levine who of course is one of these big name players who can get the ball in the hoop, but outside of that, you know, you have questions about his defense and what else can he do on the field. And especially now that he's had this major injury, yeah, I think that you have to move on from him. I think that you have to build around Wiggins and Towns as your two main guys. Uh, I think you need their main need should be another big guy who can uh, help Towns and do the gritty work to be able to yeah. take pressure off of Towns since he is your best shooter and and uh you know arguably your best player so oh he's definitely he's definitely the best player another guy that can get down and do the dirty work and i don't pressure off of towns as the big guy who can stretch the floor so i think that you keep wiggins because he's such a extraordinary talent at you know scoring and what he gives that offense but i think that you have to uh so provide more support for towns and being able to get him better options as he spreads the floor. Yeah, I do think that the guy they look for shouldn't necessarily be a, a dirty work type of big man because you can get a guy like that in the second round. I think up in the lottery with this pick, they should be looking at a, a floor spacing power forward if they are going to go in the power forward direction because, yeah, I know Carl Anthony Towns is a really good shooter from three, and that's awesome, but the whole point of having a stretch five that you can put at the five is that you can also have your stretch four out there and you can play five out because if you have your stretch five and he's playing on the perimeter but your four guy can't shoot, then you've basically defeated the purpose of having a stretch five because the whole purpose of having a stretch five is being able to play five out. So I think you want to have that four who's able to shoot. So obviously the two guys in this year's draft who are that is Jonathan Isaac and Larry Markkinen. Uh, both of us are definitely higher on Jonathan Isaac than we are on Larry Markkinen just because uh, Jonathan I Isaac, mean, you, you, as a, you disagree? A prospect probably. Probably Jonathan Isaac, but as a fit, I think Larry Markinen would probably be better. Yeah, I just I just like the Isaac fit more because, yeah, his jumper is definitely more questionable than Markinen is. I think Markinen might be the uh, – he's one of the best shooters in this in this year's draft. But Isaac's being a bit, ability to contribute on defense, I think, is what really weighs it in that direction for me because 
Minnesota's really struggled on defense this season, even with Tom Thibodeau. And uh, I don't think that Markkanen's going to be able to be even close to a good defender in the NBA because he's not very mobile. And I'm not sure who he guards as in terms of power forwards or centers. Whereas I think Jonathan Isaac is easily going to be able to guard small forwards, power forwards, and centers. Maybe even switch onto point guards and shooting guards. So I think that small difference in three-point ability uh, is going to be outweighed by the fact that Jonathan Isaac would immediately make their defense so much better. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of faith in Tom Thibodeau, and I think that their defense had made a big leap in sort of the second half of the season. I think that they made, you know, a big step in the yeah. right way, but uh, I see your point as, you know, you talk about Isaac who can fit perfectly in that system, and and you think about all the incredible things that he could do with Tom Thibodeau and the potential that he has. I just think that marketing is such a great option at that, you know, five or six pick that you can uh, get a great score, you know, with such great, you know, physical presence that, uh, you know, as a seven-footer who can really shoot the ball. And I think that, you know, he would fit well in that system, but I understand the, you know, flip side of the coin with Isaac. Yeah, I think both are interesting picks. It'll probably just depend on who's on the board there and then where that pick ends up. And then, of course, if they land at one or two, I think they take Fultz or Ball just because you take the best player available. And especially Fultz, you can play him at the two next to Ricky Rubio. You can probably get away with doing that for Ball, too, because he is big enough. Both of those guys need the ball in their hands, but I think that that would end up working just because you have to take the talent at that point. And then... If their pick ends up at three, I think that's a, maybe a pretty interesting scenario because I think Josh Jackson next to Andrew Wiggins would be a really fun fit of uh, athletic Kansas forwards. Uh, you got Josh Jackson playing the four in that situation probably, uh, supplying defense and then being able to score from the wing. I think Josh Jackson would be an awesome fit in there if Minnesota were to end up with the third pick. Yeah, that would certainly be an interesting lineup that they would do. Uh, I think Josh Jackson could, you know, be also a good defensive piece in that system. So, yeah, I think that that would be quite an interesting fit. So it'll be interesting to see if they get that three pick or lower, that what will they do? Yeah, definitely. And then the last team that we're going to touch on for this podcast with the number seven odds in the draft, the New York Knicks. And they have a very apparent target in this year's draft, and it's basically anything outside of the front court. I mean, this is a franchise that is – Obviously in turmoil. You had Kristaps Porzingis skipping his exit interview with Phil Jackson. You've got the Carmelo Anthony situation. Uh, the clock's ticking on when he's going to be traded. I mean, as soon as the offseason starts, he's probably headed to L.A., Clippers, or somewhere. But, yeah, Carmelo in New York is looks to be completely over. So, yeah, outside of power forward and center where they've got young guys like Kristaps Porzingis, Willie Hernan Gomez, uh, that group of guys that's actually been pretty successful – they just have so many question marks on the rest of that roster. I mean, they have no point guards going forward, uh, basically no young wings. So I think that they'll just be looking at whichever of the point guards they like at that pick because I don't know if there's any great wings that will be available there. Maybe they take Malik Monk, but I don't know if he makes it there. So I think that they'll be looking at Dennis Smith, De'Aaron Fox, Frank Natilkina, whoever's there to in terms of point guards to see who they want on that team. Yeah, exactly. I think that with Jose Calderon gone and having that backcourt be so old and, you know, broken down, I think that they need to get that best option at the point guard spot. I think that 
Frank Natokina would probably be the best option, or at least my favorite fit, because I think that he is the best, you know, has shown what he can do the uh, so far, and I think that he could complement uh, Porzingis well as a facilitator and can create his own shot and has shown that he can be consistent and, you know, being one of those guys that can, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, run through the storm with Porzingis and hopefully can create some stability in New York. So I think that if they do get that number seven or six or eight in that range pick, I think that either uh, if De'Aaron Fox falls that far or uh, Frank Natokina would be, you know, good options at replacing a broken down backcourt. Yeah, I like the Natokina fit there a lot. I could also see them going with Dennis Smith Jr. because Dennis Smith is sort of that flashy point guard that is sort of the he's got that New York style with him. And then also I think Dennis Smith is a really good pick and roll point guard. And with Kristaps Porzingis, I think a lot, uh, pick and pop is something that he should definitely have be a part of his game with his three point shooting ability. So that'd be a good fit running the pick and pop. Although. I don't, I don't even know what Phil Jackson wants them to run. I think they should get Phil Jackson away from that team. But that's a whole other podcast. Uh, so just in a vacuum, I think Dennis Smith's a good fit with that team. And then if they land in the top three, I mean, just like any other team, they'll take Fultz or Ball at one or two just because that fits their needs. Those are the guys that they want. And uh, there's already been some talk about them liking Fultz a whole lot. I mean, I think he spent some time around the team uh, when he started his draft process. So there's that whole thing. And then if they land at three, I mean, they probably end up taking Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum, whoever they like most, just because, again, they need that wing scoring. Uh, it's A lot of people have comped Jason Tatum to Carmelo Anthony. I don't think he's going to be that talented as a scorer. I think he's probably a worse version of Carmelo Anthony, but I could see him filling that role that Carmelo did as that wing scorer. But again, that's does that is that even really a compliment? I mean, Carmelo's team hasn't made the playoffs since, what, 2013? And yeah. he hasn't looked that good. I mean... A lot of people know that all Carmelo really does is score. So is that even a compliment to Jason Tatum? That's sort of the point I've been trying to make about Tatum is that, yeah, he's a scorer, but is he that good of a scorer, and does he contribute anything besides that? And that's the big question mark with Jason Tatum, I think. Yep, yep. And more importantly, Jason Tatum will never uh, land someone as hot as Lala. So that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, though, you got anything else on New York? Uh, no, I think that, uh, yeah, we need to excavate. You need to clear out, uh, start a brush fire or something. Get Phil Jackson out of the Knicks, but, you know, that's a conversation for a whole nother day. But, yeah. you know, uh, New York, you know, New York is going to do what New York does. Yeah, um, that's uh, top seven teams in the lottery. Uh, hopefully next week we'll be doing the other teams in the lottery, discussing what they'll be looking at. We're probably going to be going through all these teams uh, we're definitely going to be going through all these teams before we get to the draft. We'll come out with new big board stuff, new mock draft stuff. We've got a whole whole load of stuff planned coming before the draft. We'll talk lottery. We'll talk combine. So all that's going to be exciting as we get closer to the draft. And, yeah, you got anything else, Cesar? Yeah, man. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for, you know, showing your support and reviewing and, you know, giving those five-star ratings that show us, you know, I'm so confident showing – that, you know, we're doing a good job and, you know, give us feedback and what you like, what you don't like. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in and, you know, giving feedback and support. So thank thank you. Yep, we appreciate it. Uh, see you all next week. See you later, Cesar. All right, see you guys.